This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, thank you. Bless all of you. Glad to see you out today. Made a decision to worship God before the Super Bowl. I think you made a right decision. I welcome all of you. If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand up real high. As you're getting that up, let me give you some thoughts the Lord has put on my heart just several times through prayer. And then, you know, when, when something happens within the, the earth we live in, and I'm talking about the, the blue moon the other night, God doesn't do stuff just to entertain us. I believe he's, he's introducing some things that will take place. And what I begin to sense is the Lord saying, I'm going to do a shaking within the heavens. So when God shakes within the heavens, you'll see the impact of that on the earth. And I don't know what you're believing for right now. Man, get your faith out there. I believe you're going to see right on into the February through the whole year a, a kingdom shaking. That it'll, it'll bless you, okay? So all that was free. You're welcome. God bless you. Uh, it's just from the Lord. If you got your Bible, go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 6. Chapter 6. Now, we're talking about worship. So, to love God is to worship God. So, worship would be an expression of my love, uh, of my gratitude, of my thanks. But understand this, worship is, is just not in the audible that comes out of me. Worship is in everything I do. You know, when you got up this morning, it was a form of worship. On your way to church today, if you belly ached and grumbled, that was a form of your worship and it wasn't good. When you go to work tomorrow morning, when you work as unto the Lord, that's a form of worship. When you get around everybody else at your workplace and everybody else is a lazy butt but you, that's a form of worship. When everybody else is griping and complaining and saying how unfair it is, but you refuse not to, that's a form of worship. And so you begin to see here, worship is a, is a lot more than what we thought it was. Now, in the book of John, chapter 4, verse 23-24, it says that, that now God is looking for the true worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and truth. He's seeking true worshipers. So when we think about worship in the spirit, that's something that, that originates from your heart. You know, your spirit is, is the thing that will live eternally. Not, not this thing. This, this is called your earth suit, okay? All this is right here is dirt. And when you die, you go back to the dirt. This does. But your spirit, the real you, will live forever. Actually, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says that God made a spirit, soul, and body. I am a spirit, I live in a body, and I possess a soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions. So again, to worship God, man, it's from my heart, it's from my very being. It's not mechanical. And to worship in truth is the integrity of the Bible. That say, man, this is what my Bible says God is, and this is what He likes, and this is how He likes to be worshipped. Now, there's been a big misunderstanding. We've had the thought that when it comes to worship, a fast song is praise, but a slow song is worship. Now, worship has nothing to do with speed or style, okay? Again, worship is in everything I do on a daily basis. So if you leave here today and you say this, 
I didn't get anything out of worship. Well, guess what? You worship for the wrong reason. It wasn't about you. It's about him. And so again, you're going to get a drift of this this morning on how God really wants us to worship him. Man, where it's a passion, it just flows all day long. So to help us here today, you're going to see on several different occasions through worship, God will connect with you. Through worship, and we connect with God, then God has a desire to correct you. Now, when I talk about correction, whom God loves, He corrects. How many of you as a parent, you correct your children because you're mad at them? No. I correct my children because they're going the wrong way and I don't want it bad for them. That's the same with us. And so God will connect with you. God will correct you. But ultimately, after God corrects you, you know what he does? He directs you. He gets you back on the right track and he says, this is what I want in your life. So we begin uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw, or he observed, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts or the imagination of his heart was only evil continually. And so when you look at this, God is he's observing the behaviors of mankind. And he said the intents of the thoughts or the imagination was evil continually. In other words, they had no heart's desire to worship God. They had no heart's desire to obey God. They had no heart's desire to repent. You know, I believe this. Even the way we repent is a form of worship. The way you serve is a form of worship. The way we pray is a form of The way you receive the word of God is today is a form of worship. And so again, when you look at all this, it shows here the people of this society, their hearts became very hard toward God. Verse number 6. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. Now, understand this. God didn't regret creating mankind. That's not what he was saying here. He said he he, he was upset that he made him. And look at the end of verse 6. Why? And he said he was grieved in his heart. When God gets grieved in his heart, it's because the behaviors of mankind, it grieved God's heart. So God wasn't mad that he created man. He was mad because man wasn't fulfilling the aspirations he had for him. He's looking at us like, oh, I have so much better for you, but you don't want it. You don't gravitate toward it. How many have ever thought, you don't have to raise your hands, how many have ever thought that toward your children? Oh, I, I wish they would just get this. I just wish. See, that's how God's heart was here. So don't look at it where God looked and said, man, I wish we would have wiped out them. That's not his heart there, okay? And so you begin to see the land was, was morally bankrupt. It wasn't good. Keep reading with me, verse 7. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both men, beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. So again, we see how sin grieved God. And when you read this here, it tells us how bad it was in their society. 
and how far off a track mankind had gotten. There was no desire to worship God. There was no desire to live for God. Now let me help us just a little bit with this. If you were to study the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, it said we're to have no other idols before God. There's nothing before God. If we would go in the New Testament to Matthew 22, the Lord Jesus said we're to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. So again, to worship God or to give Him my whole heart, that's not just in my words, that's in my behaviors and my actions. When I obey God, to obey God is to worship God. Jesus said in John 14, 15, He said, if you will love me, you'll obey me. So to obey God is to love God, and to love God is, a, is a, uh, an expression of worship. So you know what He's telling us here? Part of worship is to obey God. Do you know every time you obey God, you know what God does? He's observing, he's watching, he's going, that's my boy, that's my girl. Now, how do we know that? Okay, keep reading. Verse 8. But, but, this one man named Noah, he found grace, he found a, a favor in the eyes of the Lord. The, the message says, God liked what he saw, and Noah was a pleasure to God. Now, don't think in here that this guy named Noah, he was born with this gold necklace around his head that said God's got him no matter what happened. That's not the truth. He had the same opportunity to desert God as the rest of the people. So you look here and it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Verse number 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. The word just there means he, 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 he was righteous. He was a godly man. So we know in the time frame that he lived in, it was bad. The world was violent, it was corrupt, but yet this man said, I'm going to be a just man. I'm going to live for God. Now watch the wording in verse 9. He was perfect. That word perfect means blameless, or he had integrity in his generation. Noah walked with God. So, to walk with God, does that mean it was just lip service? No. Because I believe if that was all it was, it would have said, and Noah talked with God. But it said that Noah walked with God. So, because Noah walked with God, that has to tell me that Noah had to obey God. Now, watch how the scriptures prove this out. Verse number 10. And Noah begot three sons, Curly, Moe, and Larry. No, no. Some of the young ones say, who's he talking about? How many of you young ones in here don't know who Curly, Moe, or Larry is? Raise your hand. There's a few of you. Thank you for being honest. That was the original three stooges, okay? That's nothing to do with today. Let's keep reading. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. Now it says the earth was filled with violence and corrupt before God. So I'm looking at that the other day when I'm studying it. It, it cross-references me to Romans 2 verse 13. Now this will describe why Noah walked with God. 
For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Romans 2.13 if you're taking notes. So guess what he just said? It's the doers of the word. It's the ones who actually obey the word. And it's interesting, it uses the word justified. So back in verse number 9, it says, he was a just man. The reason he was a just man is, he obeyed the word of God. So again, I don't see any place in here where it said, Noah will worship God because they kicked up the band and started singing some songs. No, I believe his worship here, was a direct result of his obeying God. And he said, man, Father God, I I want to please you. Keep reading. The earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Every one of them. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Why was the earth filled with violence? Because of man. He goes on to say, And behold, I will destroy them, mankind, with the earth. And so we begin to get an idea here that the, the human beings of that time, they forfeited their right to exist. It tells me, That when sin hits a certain limit, and I don't know what that is, but when it hits enough, God says, that's it. That's it. Now, it said they were going to destroy all of them. But, this guy named Noah. So when you choose to live for God, he connected to God. And God was correcting their man, the, the society, mankind, all through that. He said, because of their violence, because of how corrupt they were, and they wouldn't heed the correction of God. But evidently, this guy named Noah did. So now, watch the direction here in verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Now, What I want you to see here is, I'm not going to read everything that God told him on how to build that. But it was very precise. The length, the size. So God gives Noah direction on how to build it. And God gives Noah direction on how to fill it. Now, God presents all this, but Noah has to obey it. Now, think about this here, that when God tells him to bring, build this ark, there's not a lake around there. So it can't make sense to his natural mind. So now this is what happens to us. Oftentimes, we don't obey the commandments of God because we don't understand the commandments of God. But think in this sense. Sometimes the only way the Bible gives an understanding is when I obey it, because when I obey it, it unlocks understanding. But for me to obey it, i got to step out by faith. And sometimes, how many of you ever thought this? Man, this doesn't make sense. Well, the Bible wasn't supposed to make sense. It was supposed to make faith in my heart. So when God begins to tell him to do this, he's living in a society that's violent. 
He's having people. Now understand, when he built this, this is 120 years. So day by day, people are walking past him that are violent, and the world keeps getting worse and worse, and they're saying to him, you're stupid. You're crazy. I don't know what you're smoking, dude. Why would you do that? And so they ridicule him and mock him for believing what God said. So for 120 years, now listen real close. This shows me Noah's obedience. It was a lifetime of obedience in an ungodly world. He said, I don't care if it makes sense. Now, watch this in verse 22. I'm jumping for time's sake. Thus, Noah did. To love God is to obey God. Thus, Noah did. According to all that God commanded him, so he did. So when everybody else in the world said, I'm not going to obey, this guy said, I'm going to obey could that be what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7, 13 and 14 when he said, there's a narrow road and there's only a few on it? So when Noah did what God said, his worship was that in obedience. And I believe this, God looked and said, that's my boy. Look at him. Everybody else in the world is not going to, but this guy's going to obey me. Now, turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28. Again, what I begin to see here, my obedience to God is one of the greatest acts of worship there is. Man, when I obey God, I believe it brings him pleasure. I believe he, he smiles. Because it's not always easy to obey God. Now, I don't know if you've ever read this passage, but I'm going to start in verse 10. I encourage you, when you read the Bible, ask the Holy Spirit to come and help you. Give you understanding. And so, I'm, I'm in a season of my life right now where this, this book will just come alive to me. I mean, it's, the, it's like the Holy Spirit just brings it to light. And I'll look and I'll say, man, I've, I've read this and I've, read, I've never seen this before. I, I want you right now, and I'll ask the Holy Spirit to come in here and show us, every one of us, open our eyes here. Because this thing is loaded, okay? Verse 10, now Jacob went out from Beersheba, and he went toward Haran. And you say, well, what's the significance of that? He's moving one place, and he's going to another. Okay, we've got to go back, and, and I'm, let me give you just a little bit of history with the Bible here. When Jacob was a young man, he had an older brother named Esau. In the Jewish customs, the older brother would, would receive the blessing, the heritage. Well, Jacob does a little trick in here, and, and instead of Esau getting the blessing, his father Isaac blessed him. And it wasn't good how it went down. And so Jacob's mother, Rebecca, said, listen, dude, you need to get out of here. You're going to die. He's going to kill you if you don't get out of here. So when we look at this right here, we have a thought that this happened overnight. He's packing his bags, and he's heading to Haran. But the truth of the matter is this. That in this frame here, it's actually 14 years. So for 14 years, time has, has expired. And so you may say, well, where was he for 14 years? 
He was a hanging around two godly men. He was in an academy of faith with a guy named Shem who was Noah's son. Can I tell you about Shem? Shem was very godly. Shem was known as one who would teach him the word. And then the other guy he hung out with was a guy named Eber. And Eber, if you would go to the Tower of Babel, Eber was a godly man. So they were putting the things of God into Jacob. So Jacob leaves there and he's on his way to Haran. Well, who's in Haran? Well, that's where he had an uncle named Laban who would actually end up being his father-in-law. Now, the people of, of Haran, they were very dishonest. And so he goes to work for his father-in-law for 20 years. Now, I don't know the total age he was when he deceived his father to get the blessing. But right here, we see something here. 34 years of his life have expired. So I'm looking at all that today, and, and I really sense the Lord just begin to sit on me. This was early this morning. And he said, there'll be ones there today that you tell them this. Don't jump the gun. Don't jump the gun. And so I heard him say that two or three times in a row. He said, tell them, don't jump the gun. And I said, Lord, explain to me. In track and field or even the Olympics, the fastest race of them all is the 100 meters, which is 109 yards. Those guys will do it in under 10 seconds. Now, if I was to do it today, it'd probably be more like 20 seconds. Run, Pastor, I am. It's fast, but listen, this is where the Lord said this. In the Olympics, if you jump the gun, you're disqualified. You can be right on time or you can be a little late. But if you jump the gun, you're disqualified. So we live in a society right now that wants to jump the gun. Why do I say that? Now. Now. I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. Understand this. This is a word to some of you. Don't jump the gun. Don't jump the gun, okay? Just trust God. Trust God. And in this situation, I see the trust in Him. He got around the godly men and then he went, and he went into the world, and he began to work and everything, and ultimately he found a wife. You know why? He didn't jump the gun. Keep reading. I'm going to move on. Verse 11. So Jacob came to a certain place, and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. Now, let me give you a little history here. You know, the place he's at right now is a place called Moriah. You may say, I don't understand what is Moriah. Well, when his grandfather Abraham was going to sacrifice his father Isaac, it was at the hills of Moriah. It was at this exact spot. This was the introduction of the patriarchs in the Old Testament. The significance of that is the hills of Moriah is the same place our Lord and Savior Jesus was crucified. This is a pretty big place right here. What I see right here at this place is where mankind connected to God. So we keep reading. And he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place. And he put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Now if you'll notice some words there. The word stones is plural. But he only took one. 
And so guess what God's doing? God is casting vision into him right now. Because if you would go back and look from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And out of the lineage of Jacob would become the 12 tribes of Israel. The whole Old Testament was birthed off the 12 tribes. If you were to go in the book of Revelations, there's a place that said in heaven will be the 24 elders. 12 of those, I believe, are out of the tribe of this right here. And the other 12, I believe, are from the disciples of Jesus. But if you'll note right here, he said he only took one of them. And that one, where did he put it at? His head. Listen to these verses here. This is Ephesians 1.22. God put all things under the authority of Jesus and made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Listen to this one, Ephesians 5, 23. Christ is the head of the church. Matthew 24, 12, it says that Jesus became the stone or the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected. So guess what's going on right here? In this dream or this passage... He's seen the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the New Testament and ultimately the church through our Lord and Savior Jesus. You say, so what? Well, let's keep reading. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on earth and its top reached to heaven. John 151, if you're looking for a reference for that. So you say, what's the significance? There was a ladder that stretched from earth to heaven. Two things you see right there. Number one, you know who the latter is? It's the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The only way anyone gets from earth to heaven is through the Lord and Savior, Jesus. Now, Led Zeppelin jumped the gun. This was the original stairway to heaven, okay? Some of you young ones don't know that one either. I can't help you. Let me get my train of thought back here. Let me read the verse. And its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were sending and descending on it. You know what the second phase is here? This ladder, that's my Bible. This ladder is stretching from earth to heaven. And it said the angels are ascending and descending. So as long as I'm on this earth, and I pray through the ladder, which is the Lord and Savior Jesus... Those angels are on assignment. You know what they're doing? They're going up and down that ladder all day long. And when I pray in the name of Jesus, guess what they do? They go up there and they tell Father God. And Father God says, go back and tell the people on the earth the affairs of what's going on. And so again, you begin to see what he's talking about here in, in all this passage. Woo, it was all connecting. Verse 13. And behold, the ladder stood... My Bible's all messed up here. You can see I'm losing pages. So I've got to find out where it goes. There it goes. This is the book of Genesis. <laughs> and you say, why don't you get a new Bible? Uh-uh, uh-uh. Nope. You see all those markings? I mean, this thing is marked. Okay, we've got to move on. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said... I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, God of Isaac, the land which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Now think about what he's saying. God's standing above the ladder of the stairway to heaven. You know what he says? I'm God. 
There is no other but me. And he said, the same way your, your daddy Abraham and your daddy Jay, or Isaac served me, you're going to have to choose to serve me. And then he pitches vision and said, the descendants, your children that follow after you, you got to tell them to serve me. Tell them to seek me. Tell them to connect with me. Tell them to call out to me. Verse 14. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, the east, and the north, and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now when God tells you that, he means it. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And you will bring back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. So again, he's hearing all this. That's one thing for me to hear. It's another thing for me to obey. Verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't even know it. That phrase there, surely the Lord is in this place, it cross-references back into Exodus 3, verse 5. And that's when Noah, no, that's when Moses was standing there and he said, where the presence of the Lord is, it's holy ground. It's holy ground. It's holy ground. And so Jacob saying, this is holy ground. I didn't even know it. That's, that's some good stuff. You can eat on that one. Okay. I tell you, you're welcome to jump in here with me. I'm all stirred up about this. Okay, verse, verse, uh, verse 16. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Sure, the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. But the house didn't become the house of God until God connected with the people. And when the people connected with God, it became the house of God and became... Awesome. Awesome. And so when we gather together here, guess what? We come into holy ground. We come into reverence. We come into honor. So he says, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. What's the gate of heaven? The house of God. The church of God. So now we got to look at something else. What the Lord Jesus said. And Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 18. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That was a mark from Jesus. And so this is the gate of heaven. The gate of heaven. Jesus said, I, I, I won't allow the gates of hell to prevail against my church. You know what it tells me? There's going to be opposition that comes against the gate. But when we stand up with the authority that Jesus has given us, the gates of hell can't prevail. You said, uh-uh, in Jesus' name. The other, the other night, Shelly was, was hacking and coughing. I'm telling you, there was a, a holy fire that rose within me. I looked and said, uh-uh, no more, no more. I got up and I walked over there and I started laying hands on her. And I said, uh-uh, in the name, you're not doing that in my house. How dare you? In the name of Jesus. And so again, we have authority. That's, that's Matthew 16, 19. Some of you are living far beneath your, your privileges, okay? You speak the name, and when you got that cough, you speak over it in Jesus' name. Okay, okay. Keep reading. This is no other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning. And he took the stone. Now look at it. 
He took the stone. Remember, in fact, in verse 11, it was stones. This time, it's just the stone. And he took the stone that had put his head on, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. Now, he's in this dream, and he's seen all this. And so I'm looking at this this morning, and you know what? The, the thing that began to jump out to me right here in verse 18 was this. You know what's mentioned in verse 18? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every one of them. Jesus was the stone. God was the pillar. And you can look at Genesis 31, 13. And it will verify that. And when it says the oil, it all was anointed with the oil. That's the reference that when, when God anointed the prophet Aaron, that it said the anointing oil went down his head and went through his beard and went down his whole body. And so he said, you know what? I got the name and I got the Father God and I'm going to give you the anointing that will oil you and lubricate you right here on the earth. Man, I can't, guys, we got to get a hold of the Holy Spirit. Get a hold of the Holy Spirit. Woo, get a hold of Him, okay? And so we keep moving on. Verse 19. And He called the name of that place, we would say Bethel, the true, the true reference of it is Beth-el. Beth meaning house, El meaning Elohim, so it is literally the house of God. Literally. And so he begins to define and say, you can connect with God at the house of God. Every time you come in here, God wants to connect with you. When you come in here to praise, when you come in here to raise your hands, when you come in here to serve, do you know you're serving as an act of worship? You're, you're listening to the word as an act of service. The Bethel. Now watch the correction here. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Where's the correction? The word Luz means crooked and perverse. So you know what he's saying? I didn't create you to live crooked and perverse. Not only did I not create you to live crooked and perverse. When you begin to come into the house of God and the things of God erupt in your life. Don't go back to that. Don't go back to love. Stay away from love. Now, would God tell me to stay away from love to punish me? No. He wants to help me. When you're living in love, you're on the wrong track. Verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going to give me bread to eat and clothes to put on me so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Now, this doesn't imply doubt on him at all. This wasn't doubt. You know what he was saying here? Father God, I, I need your grace. I need the Holy Spirit. Because I don't want to go back to how I previously was and forfeit all these blessings that you've blessed with me. He made a vow. Oh, Father God, grace me. Oh, Father God, fill me with your spirit. I welcome you. Now we're getting close to being done. Verse 22. And this is the stone, plural, which I've said is a pillar, shall be God's house. Shall be God's house. This is the house of God. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now, this is incredible right here. 
He built this altar at Bethel. The stone, the pillar. But he says something in here and he says, Of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. And so I look at that and here's the thought. Anything in your life and my life that's a true commitment, it's going to cost you something. Your time and your treasures. And so right here, my acts of giving or tithing are a form of worship. Now, if we put all this verse together and he says, this shall be the house of God, and all that I give me, I will surely give a tenth. So right there, he shows how the Bible is connected. Actually, this is Malachi 3, 9 and 10. In Malachi 3, 9, he says, therefore you have robbed me. And he said, how have we robbed you? And he said, in tithes and offerings. And he said, prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If you will bring your tithes into my house... He said, I'll open the windows of heaven and I'll pour out blessing upon you that there shall not be room enough for you to receive. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake and the fruit of your ground shall not return barren. But when he gives the tithe here, the tithe isn't the letter of the law. The law hadn't even come into play. So why would he do that? Because it was an act of his heart. So to love God is to obey God. And he said, Father God, I love you. I love you. So every time I honor God with my tithe, it's an act of obedience. Now, I said this earlier. Oftentimes, we don't obey God because we don't understand it. But when I choose to step out and obey God, then the understanding begins to come. When I started tithing, my MIT brain went crazy. What are you doing? What are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. And it didn't make any sense until I took the step of faith and said, Father God, I'm going to step out and do this because you said for me to do. And any time I step out and do that because he said it does, it's an act of worship and I begin to get God's attention. Hang, Pastor, that's, that's great. So again, I believe with all my heart. The greatest act of, of worship is the way I obey God. So we see in this passage, and he was committed to God. He made vows to God, but actually he obeyed God. I'm going to ask you to stand up here. You've got a little journey of my week. That's why it's been so... I'm telling you, my, my episodes are a lot better than Peter Pan's ever were, ever. I tell you, it's, it's wonderful just to get in the Word of God. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.